Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once more for another day, another beautiful day. It is the Lord's day. We thank you for the gift of life that you've given us. We thank you for the gift of salvation that you granted us through Christ our Lord. And as we come before you, help us, O God, to hear from your word, but more importantly, open our hearts and minds to know your will for us and give us the strength to obey you wholeheartedly. Thank you, Lord. We commit to you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessed Lord's Day to all of you, and we are already halfway on our study in the book of Ephesians. Again, our series is entitled, New Humanity, New Life, New Guideline, and New Relationships. Today, we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Let's read our text. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also, he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The title of our message today is New Attitudes. And we will learn the why, what, and how of having new attitudes. Let's look at each in turn. First, why? Let's read verse 1 again. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. As mentioned last time, Paul wrote this letter while imprisoned in Rome, awaiting his trial before Caesar Nero. Now, Paul opened this section with the words, therefore, as we learned during the introduction to this series, Ephesians divides into two big sections. The first half covers chapters 1 to 3, while the second half covers chapters 4 to 6. We also learned that Paul connects these two sections with the word, therefore, in verse 1 of chapter 4. Let's review. Paul spent the first three chapters telling us about what God has done for us in Christ our spiritual blessings, our salvation, and how Jesus is forming and uniting a new humanity. And this multi-ethnic humanity is composed of everyone who has put their faith in Christ. Now, Paul goes to the second section of this letter, and he transitions by using the word, therefore. And here is what Paul says to his reader, including us. Because of what God has done for you, therefore, this is what you should do for God. Because of what God has done for us, therefore, this is what we ought to do for the Lord. You see, Paul did not begin by addressing behaviors and by just giving the Ephesians a challenging list of do's and don'ts. Instead, Paul started with the heart and the core motivations back in chapters 1 to 3. And that should be the basis of every believer's change in attitudes and actions. In other words, Paul laid out first the why before he gave the what and the how. Now, before we discuss the what and the how, of having new attitudes, let's look again at the whys. The first is in chapter 1. Paul says, let us live out this new attitude because God has richly blessed us in Christ. God the Father has chosen and adopted us. 
God the Son redeemed and united us, and God the Spirit seals and secures our inheritance. This is the first reason. The next reason is in chapter 2. Let us live out this new attitude because God has graciously redeemed us in Christ. Remember, we were dead in our sins, disobedient and destined for wrath. But God graciously saved us, adopted us, and made us co-heirs with Christ. And God has prepared for us for every good work so we could put him on display. Then this truth speaks of our new identity in Christ. You and I are now children of God. And also with our new identity, God has given us new responsibility. With our new identity, God has given us new responsibility. God made us his masterpieces, created for good works to put God on display and paint a picture of the new humanity for the world to see. The third motivation is in chapter 3. Let us live out our new attitude because God has revealed his mystery to us in Christ. God has made us his stewards of the gospel of his grace and he has united all believers in Christ. You see, these are significant reasons and great motivations for us. And here is the summary of this section. Living the Christian life is to be motivated by our gratitude for what God has done for us. And our attitudes and behavior are to be an outflow of our new identity in Christ. After we learn the why, let us now go to the what. What was Paul telling the Ephesians to do? Chapter 4, verse 1, letter B. Therefore, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. The original Greek for implore is parakaleo, and it was used two times in this book. One here in chapter 4, verse 1, and the other is in chapter 6, verse 22. It means to urge, to encourage, to appeal, or even to plead desperately. That is the word implore. And so what is Paul saying? What is he imploring, urging, and pleading his readers to do? Paul was urging the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. This term walk appeared eight times in Ephesians. Let's look at some of these verses. In verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. 4.17, walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. 5.2, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. Walk as children of light. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. You see, Paul often uses the imagery of walking in his other letters as well. And this word walk refers to one's habitual conduct, behavior, lifestyle, or way of life. How we walk is equivalent to how we live. Let me repeat that. How we walk is equivalent to how we live. Note that this text is another of Paul's long sentences in this book. And verses 1 to 6 are only one long verse in the original text. And the main verb here in this verse is the word walk. As for the word calling, it's the Greek word klesis from the word kaleo. This calling refers to God calling us and inviting us. God calls us out of darkness to be his children, to be his heir, and to be part of the new humanity that he is forming in his body, which is the church. As the Apostle Peter said, But you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own special possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now for the phrase in a manner worthy is one word in Greek, which is axios. It means having a weight or value of another thing. Literally, its root meaning is balancing the scales and thus indicating equivalence. 
In essence, here is what Paul is saying to the Ephesians and to us. Here is your calling in Christ. So now walk in such a way that it would correspond to your call. Demonstrate a balance between your walk and your calling. Let your practice be equivalent to your profession of faith. You are now a new human in Christ, so live like one and live up to your call. Now, isn't it that just by looking at a person on how he walks can give us a clue about what kind of person that is? For example, you can tell if a person is in the army by the way he walks and he carries himself. In the same way, you can tell if a person is drunk by observing how he walks. Friends, how about us? How are we walking? Does our walk reflect our calling as a follower of Christ? And do your choices show that you are a genuine Christian? Brothers and sisters, let us reflect on our own lives. Before you evaluate your spouse, your children, evaluate yourself first. Before you criticize and judge others, let us judge ourselves first. Think about it. Is it right for Christ to be in us, but then our lives don't look anything like him? That should not be. If you say that you're a Christian, then show it in your thoughts, words, and actions. Now that you declare that Christ lives in you, then habitually display Christ's character in the way you live. Why? Because as the Apostle John said, if we say that we have fellowship with him, with our Lord, and yet walk in darkness, that's that word again, that word walk. If we say we have fellowship with Christ and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So may God help us. Now, a worldly walk is a consistent walk. You see, it is not just a one-time obedience or a seasonal following, but it is a consistent way of life. As Dr. Stuart Scott said, your life should be like a continuous film strip that shows consistent obedience to Christ and not just a one-time snapshot. Now, it's not about having a perfect Christian life, but it's all about a daily and having a consistent walk with Christ. Now, Ephesians chapter 4 to 6 are not series of unrelated topics that Paul just pulled together. Instead, Paul wrote these chapters to show us what it means to live out our calling in our everyday life. And so Paul will go to the specifics and address different aspects of our daily lives. And that is, uh, we will eventually talk about sexuality, anger, and the way we should speak. We will also talk about marriage, parenting, work ethics, and others. And Paul will discuss all this in light of what he wrote from chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians. Now, the next question is, how then should we live out our calling? The how. Verses 2 to 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Before we continue, allow me to make this note. You see, many Christians would like to quickly jump off to the latter part, chapter 4, and then chapter 5 and onwards. Why? Because these parts talk about the different relationships. But skipping the first part of chapter 4 would be a huge mistake. You see, to have a new kind of relationship, you and I need to have the right character first. In other words, for godly relationships, we need to have new and Christ-like attitudes. And that is what our passage is all about having new Christ-like attitudes. So given this reality, let's do our best to first learn and then apply these new attitudes in our lives. Now going back to verses 2 to 3, 
Paul tells us that a life worthy of God's calling is marked by the following new attitudes. And let's look at them one by one. The first, a worthy walk is characterized by an attitude of humility. Humility means lowliness of mind, which is the contrast of pride and arrogance. Now, if we think about humility, we would all agree that it's a commendable quality, right? It is an admirable quality. But you see, that was not the case back then in Paul's time. For the average Greek and Roman back then, humility was not considered a virtue. For them, humility meant something like crushed or debased, and they associate humility with failure and shame. The Romans during Paul's time accepted only one kind of humility, and that's humility before the gods. And for obvious reasons, because they believed that the gods had a lot of power, they had more power over them, and they could kill them. Also, Roman people humbled themselves before the emperor, who had all the power during that time. But to exercise humility before someone who is your equal or lesser than you, the people considered that unethical and even immoral. Why? Because for the Greco-Romans, honor and reputation are highly important. Their motto in life is pursue honor, praise yourself, and then let others praise you. As one writer said, Greeks and Romans elevated self-confidence, self-assertiveness, self-righteousness, but not lowliness. No wonder Jesus' teaching about humility was shocking to his hearers. Matthew 20, 25 to 28. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Paul urges the Ephesians to do the same. Instead of pursuing honor, he pleads with the Ephesians and to us, pursue humility. Instead of viewing ourselves as better than others, we should do the opposite and consider others better than ourselves. Friends, how about us? Can we say that we are growing in this area of humility? Will people say that we are humble? Or will they say we are full of pride? Personally, I thought I didn't have an issue with pride until I got married. I realized that marriage, like money, is a great multiplier. Let me explain. If you're already a proud person when, when you still don't have money, then having more money will make you more proud. You will have more money to buy things to flaunt yourself. Likewise, suppose you're an angry person when you're still single. In that case, your anger will be more evident when you get married. Why? Because two self-centered sinners coming together will only create more friction and frustration. And this reality is what I realized. Sad to say, I was a demanding and self-focused husband. Most of the time, I only practice the fruit of the Spirit to myself. I love myself. I'm kind to myself. I'm good to myself. I'm gentle with myself, but not to my wife and kids. But praise God for His goodness. God helped me realize that I am slowly destroying my marriage and my relationship with our kids because of my pride, my selfishness, and arrogance. And today, by God's grace, I'm still growing in this area of giving up my pride and pursuing Christ-like humility. And I pray that all of us would realize 
this area and grow in this area as God helps us. Now we can talk about humility without talking about pride. So what is pride? At its core, pride is self-worship. One writer said this about pride. Just the middle letter says it all. The middle letter is I. And that is what pride is all about. It's all about I. It's all about me. It's all about myself. Romans 11.36 tells us, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. But instead of affirming this, what Romans 11.36 says, we claim for ourselves what is rightfully belonging to God by saying, All things belong to me, for from me, through me, and to me are all things. We say, good has come from me, good has come through me, and all good things need to come to me. For from me, through me, and to me are all things, and to me be the glory. That is pride. Now remember, there are many warnings about pride in the Bible. There are many examples of both men and women that God brought low because of their pride. And read the story of King Herod, King Nebuchadnezzar, and Queen Jezebel, and the other kings of Israel and Judah. And we can learn from their lives. You see, we can express pride in subtle ways. Think about it. In our culture, we don't normally say, Ang ko, I'm really good. We don't openly express how great we are and how we deserve honor and praise. But our pride can show in subtle ways in our attitudes. It can show in the way we relate with others. Let me share with you a few examples of how pride manifests in our lives. For example, complaining against or passing judgment on God. You see, a proud person in a difficult situation thinks, look, God, Look at what you did to me. Look at what God has done to me after all I've done for him. That is pride. Next is a lack of gratitude in general. Proud people usually think they deserve or have earned what they have. And the result? They see no reason to be thankful towards God or others. They may even complain because they think they deserve better. So they tend to be critical, complaining, and discontent. Next. Anger. A proud person is often an angry person. One's anger can include outbursts of anger, withdrawing, pouting, or frustration. A person most often becomes angry because his rights or her expectations are not being met. Next, seeing yourself as better than others. A proud person usually looks down on others and he gets easily disgusted and has little tolerance for the differences of others. Now, pride can also show in some more ways, having an inflated view of your importance, gifts, and abilities. Many proud people have a strong perception of themselves, and these people reject the fact that, or have forgotten that everything they have comes from God. Also, a sign of pride is perfectionism. People who strive for everything to be perfect more often do so for self-recognition. I'm not saying we should be excellent. What I'm saying is about perfection. And these people, they may do it also so that they can feel good about themselves. Whatever the reason, this behavior is, in the end, self-serving. And next, it's seeking independence or control. Proud people find it extremely difficult to work under someone or submit to authority. And they have to be their own boss. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that all bosses or all business owners are proud people. What I'm saying is proud people usually have this mindset. I don't need anyone. I don't need accountability for my faith and doctrine. 
and they are often rigid, stubborn, headstrong, and intimidating. And they may also say, it's my way or no way. And next, being consumed with what others think. Some people exhibit pride by being too concerned about the opinion of others. Many of their decisions are based on what others might think. You see, they want people to think well of them, be pleased with them. They fear men more than they fear God. These are the characteristics of pride. Friends, think about your life. Are these characteristics of pride evident in your life? Just ask your wife and kids. Ask those who are closest to you and give them permission to point out where pride manifests in your life. Then after that, deal with your pride immediately. Walk away from it and return towards God. God will forgive your sins if you sincerely ask Him. And starting today, rely on God as you pursue this new attitude of walking in Christ-like humility. So may God help us. Secondly, Paul says that a worthy walk is characterized by an attitude of gentleness. Gentleness. This word could also be translated as meekness. It means exercising restraint or controlling one's emotion. And it's the op opposite of harshness and self-assertiveness. Now, meekness is not weakness or just being a doormat. Instead, a gentle or meek person is a strong person that accommodates another person's weakness. Our Lord Jesus Christ displayed his gentleness with a woman caught in adultery. John 8. And Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Our Lord Jesus Christ knew very well that this woman had sinned and deserved to die by stoning. But instead of condemning her and focusing only on her sin, our Lord forgave her and he urged her to turn away from her life of sin. Also, the idea of meekness carries as having one's strength under control. The Greek word for meekness refers to a wild horse that has been tamed and it is now under the control of a master. When Jesus was about to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could have called upon armies of angels to destroy those who wants to hurt him, but he did not. Instead, he showed his meekness and controlled his strength. Matthew 26. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? Friends, do we have this attitude of gentleness and meekness, even in the presence of those who offend us or those who wants to harm us? May God help us. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am what? I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So may God help us to learn from our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be gentle like him in our attitudes, in our words, and in our actions. The third, a worthy walk is characterized by an attitude of patience. Patience could also be translated as long-suffering. It is bearing patiently with the sins and shortcomings and faults of other people. 1 Corinthians 13.4 tells us that love is patient, love is long-suffering, 
And it's the same word used here. To be long-suffering is to be patient with sinful and difficult people. You see, our God has also displayed this patience to each and every one of us. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness. But is what? God is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, our God is a long-suffering God towards sinners, and He showed His patience towards you and me. He is slow to anger, and He does not execute His judgment immediately to give people like us more time to repent. Think about it. How old were you when you decided to follow Christ? If you became a Christian when you were 13 years old, that means God has patiently endured your sins. For how long? For the first 13 years of your life. And if you followed Christ when you're already, let's say, 30s or 40s, then you have lived in sin for more than three or four decades. And even up to today, God is still patiently bearing with our imperfections and sins. And so if God has shown patience to us, shouldn't it follow that we also extend the same patience to others? Friends, let us also follow God's example. You see, sooner or later, someone will sin against us. Could be a family member or a co-worker can sin against us. Could be a brother or a sister in Christ, they can offend us. And when it happens, can we respond with this new attitude of godly patience? Can we forgive those who have sinned against us just as Christ has forgiven us? So may God help us. Fourthly, Paul says that a worthy walk is characterized by an attitude of tolerance for one another in love. Tolerance means to bear, endure, and make allowances for the faults and failures of others. Now, what's the difference between tolerance and patience? One pastor said that patience refers to bearing with the sins of others, while tolerance is enduring non-sin issues. Tolerance is to make allowance for the fault of others that is not necessarily sinful. You see, other people could irritate or disturb us just because we have different personalities, different styles, different tastes and preferences. So here's the question for us. How are you bearing up with the eccentricities of your fellow church members, or perhaps even with your family members? Now, a worthy walk is having an attitude of tolerating one another in love. And speaking of love, remember this important principle. If we fail to love the Lord first, we won't love properly in our human relationships. Now, speaking of love, let us reflect on this further. Remember how Paul commented the Ephesians for their love for one another back in chapter 1? He said, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And look at how Paul also ended his letter. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. You see, Paul commended the Ephesian church for their love and he prayed for them to continue in their love for God. However, a sad thing happened with the Ephesian church about 30 years later. And do you know what God wrote to them in Revelation chapter 2? Listen to what our Lord Jesus said. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance in that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. 
but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Did you hear God's complaint against his church? You see, by this time, the Ephesians had left their first love, which is the Lord. And because they left their first love, they consequently left their love for one another. So God told his people, you don't love me or you don't love each other as you did at first. No wonder many Bible commentators describe the Ephesian church here in Revelations 2 as the loveless church. Now think about it. The Ephesian church had the best pastors they could ever have. First, the Apostle Paul stayed and pastored this church for three years, longer than any other single church that Paul had established. Then Timothy, Paul's protege, was next to pastor and replace Paul. Afterwards, church history tells us that the Apostle John, who is the Apostle, one of the twelve, pastored the church in Ephesus. And even Mary, the mother of Jesus, was believed to have joined the Ephesian church, since it was the Apostle John who took care of her after Jesus died on the cross. You see, the church in Ephesus had the best leaders. They had the best pastors and teachers. So this church loved doctrine and passionately pursued the truth. They even become experts in identifying false apostles and false teachers and even fake news. And the Ephesians were faithful in ministering and they endured hardships. But what happened? Perhaps they grew too much in knowledge. Perhaps they have become proud and become puffed up. And their love for truth has replaced their love for God. They have gone deep in being Bible-rooted, but have failed to cultivate their intimacy with God. They have gone deep in being Bible-rooted, but have failed to cultivate their intimacy with God. And the sad result, they lost their love for God, and they lost their fire of love for other people. Friends, how about us? 2021 will soon come to an end. Could we say that we have grown in love for God and for others? Or have we grown further apart in our relationships? Brothers and sisters, let this be a warning to us. If we are not careful, what happened to the efficient church could also happen to our church. And therefore, let us remember our lesson and do our best to apply it. Living the Christian life is to be motivated by our gratitude for what God has done for us. And our attitudes and behavior are to be an outflow of our new identity in Christ. And therefore, let us walk with Christ-like attitudes of humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, in love, and diligence to preserve our unity. Which leads us to our last point. Paul says a worthy walk is characterized by an attitude of diligence to preserve unity. Ephesians 4.3 Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. To be diligent is to make every effort. It conveys the idea of having a sense of urgency to do something and to do it with intense effort and motivation. And make every effort to do what? To preserve the unity of the Spirit. You see, God did not call us to create unity among us. God has already done that for us in Christ. God has united all of us into a new humanity through His Spirit. However, God has given us the responsibility to make sure that our unity is preserved. He gave us the task to keep and maintain that unity that He has already accomplished for us. And Paul acknowledges this truth that it will not be easy. And that is why he tells us that we need to exert every effort to do this. And what would further motivate us to be diligent in preserving this unity? 
Paul gives us seven reasons why from verses 4 to 6. For there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Notice how Paul uses the word one and repeats it seven times. One body, one spirit, one hope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God. Paul is emphasizing the fact that all believers are now one in Christ. Despite our differences in ethnicities, cultures, despite our differences in personality, social classes, and even financial status, we are now one in Christ. And looking closely at these verses, Paul gives us three important motivations. Let us preserve our unity because it reflects God's unity. Note that three of these ones mentioned here are the three persons of the Godhead. One Spirit is the Holy Spirit, one Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ, and one God is God the Father. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are united as one despite being three persons of the Trinity. Thus, when we pursue unity, we reflect the unity of the Trinity. Next, let us preserve our unity because we follow one Lord. Note what verse 4 says, one body, one spirit, one hope. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. All of us have placed our faith in the same Lord. We're all baptized into Christ and we now belong to one body, which is the church. And now the spirit of Christ dwells in each and every one of us and we all share the same hope for Christ's return. And the third motivation, let us preserve our unity because we belong to one family. We belong to one family. Look at verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, we have one Father, which makes all of us believers as part of one big family. You and I are related to one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether you're a Filipino or a Chinese, whether you're a Canadian or American or any other nationality, God has now expanded your family beyond your blood relatives. And unlike our biological family relationships, which is temporary, our spiritual family will last for eternity. Let me say that again, our spiritual family will last for eternity. So dear brothers and sisters, while here on earth, let us practice loving our spiritual family in Christ. Let us remember, living the Christian life is to be motivated by our gratitude for what God has done for us. And our attitudes and behavior are to be an outflow of our new identity in Christ. And therefore, let us walk with Christ-like attitudes of humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance and love, and diligence to preserve our unity. Now let's go to the second section of our passage, Ephesians 4, 7-10. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also, he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. This is a long passage, but... This text pictures our Lord Jesus Christ as a conquering king who has already won the war. After defeating his enemies, Christ brought home the spoils of war and distributed them to his people. And the point of this passage is this. 
After his death on the cross for our sins, Christ displayed his victory. He won over sin and death through his resurrection and ascension to heaven. And through the Holy Spirit, Christ gave every believer his church specific gifts to build up the body of Christ. And so next week, we will learn more about these gifts. For now, let's summarize what we've covered. God calls us to have these new Christ-like attitudes. A worthy walk is characterized by humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance in love, and diligence to preserve our unity. Brothers and sisters, again, let us remember, living the Christian life is to be motivated by our gratitude for what God has done for us, and our attitudes and behavior are to be an outflow of our new identity in Christ. Therefore, let us walk with Christ-like attitudes of humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance in love, and diligence to preserve our unity for the glory of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for your message through the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian Church and to us. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we have received every spiritual blessing in Christ, that you have given us so much, and that our behavior and attitude towards you should be an outflow of our new identity in Christ. Thank you for making us new men and women in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Father, always remind us of your goodness, of your grace. Always remind us of this gospel and help us not to take it for granted. But rather, help us, Lord God, to be motivated to follow you wholeheartedly, to live out the calling that you've given us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you know in times that we are weak, in times that we are discouraged, that times that we are burdened and worried, we pray that you grant us your spirit, empower us, O oh God, give us boldness to live for Christ. Give us the strength to endure, to be salt and light to the places you have called us. Father, help us in our weakness. For those of us who are sick, grant us healing. Give us a taste, Lord God, of your resurrection power. Make us whole physically, O God, emotionally, spiritually. Let the word of Christ heal us, O God. Lord, just say the word and we shall be healed. Father, in our worries and our burdens, help us, Lord God, to focus on you. Remind us, O oh God, that you are the God who will provide for us, for our needs, because you are our great Father who loves to give good gifts to his children in your proper time and in your proper ways. Enable us, Lord God, to trust you wholeheartedly. And I pray that you enable us, O oh God, to live a life, Lord God, of joy, of faith, of endurance. As we face temptations, help us, Lord God, to fight it. As we face our challenges, help us, Lord, to stand firm and, and walk faithfully and in obedience. We pray for our country. We pray for our leaders. You know, the situation in our country, we ask that you help our leaders and help each and every one of us to know, to discern how to best deal with this COVID situation. And Lord, as we wait on you, on your right time, help us, Lord God, to grow in Christ-like character. Thank you, Father. Continue to grant us your presence as we walk daily. May your presence go with us. And in everything, may we honor and glorify your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit. We commit to you this time and all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you once more for joining us. I hope God's word continue to encourage and sustain us. See you again next time. God bless us all.